Greetings, church and friends of the church. This is the scripture lesson and the sermon that was part of uh, the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church community gathering for worship on December 5th, 2021, uh, the second Sunday of Advent. Scripture is from the Lamentations, the third chapter, selected verses. Um, and this is a reflection on Eating, living in the midst of a certainty that God is love and loving. So the Lamentations say, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, Gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, that seek him. He has compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. So the story of Advent is a story of waiting, not passively, but waiting in the midst of living for things to happen, waiting with hope and expectation that what God has promised would happen will happen. It's not a time to sit back and, and wait for God to show up and do all the magic, but, but to trust in our calling and get to work on our side of this relationship. So last, last week, um, we celebrated um, the, the Advent gift of hope, acknowledging that hope is a trust and a certainty that Something will happen because there is precedent and there is a logical rationale for why it will happen. We heard the prophet Jeremiah's words of hope to the people forced into exile by the Babylonians, words of his trust in God based on God's precedent of fulfilling the promises that God made. And so Jeremiah promised them with hope, God will restore you. God will send that righteous one to lead the world unto peace. And on the second Sunday of Advent, we celebrate the second gift of Advent, love. We lit the second Advent candle in our worship together, the love candle. And we considered what it means to have hope in God's love because of the precedent of God being loving. And because it's logical and rational to characterize God as love or loving. So rather than have wishful thinking about God being loving unto us, um, uncertain of whether or not our imperfections and our mistakes are causing God to be something other than loving toward us, causing us trouble or harm or disappointment as divine punishment for our misdeeds, instead of you know being wishful that hopefully God will choose to be loving and hopefully won't be, 
these other things unto us. Instead of that, what does it mean to have a certain hope? No wishing involved. A certainty based on precedent that we can trust in God to be loving. Always and no matter what. Well, perhaps the, the most frequent question that I've heard in my years of um, serving the church and, and, and talking about what it means to be a Christian in the world is this. Did God either cause or passively allow a negative or difficult thing to happen to me or to us? Sickness, a death, job loss, financial struggle, relationship fracture, whatever. Did God either cause this or passively allow this because I or we did something to make God angry and therefore this is our punishment in return? Was God forced by some eternal cosmic law outside of God's own self? Was God forced by something else or some other rule or law to be something other than loving unto me or unto us because we were imperfect? Is that, is that just a cosmic rule that God has to abide by? Is that how it really works? That maybe God wants to be loving but has no choice but to punish us when we're imperfect? Is that how this works? This is, this is the question that I've heard more than any other in terms of spiritual questions over the last 20 years in the church. And that's not a surprise because this is literally the oldest spiritual question in the book. There's a consensus among biblical scholars that the book of Job, which is all about why bad things happen, is the earliest written text in all of the scriptures we call the Bible. It's the oldest question in this book that we have. Uh, maybe you watching, listening, can recall this question at some point in your life. Or maybe you're asking this question right now during this season of your life. Is this sickness, this death, this job loss, financial struggle, fractured relationship, this possibility that it's really wishing would work out but didn't, is that something that God did to me on purpose? Because God was either forced by some cosmic law of the universe or worse, because God freely chose to be angry? To be something other than loving unto us? Did I deserve this? Or is God a jerk who does mean things? In uh, times of pain and struggle and trauma and loss and disappointment, our brains have evolved over the eons with a defense mechanism by which we innately seek out the cause of our pain, our trauma, or whatever that negative or hurtful or harmful thing was so that we can assign cause and blame, and thereby learn to avoid doing that same thing again, or triggering that same thing to happen to us. So when I was a young child and I touched the hot stove, despite my mother's clear, repeated warnings not to do that, it hurt a lot. And when that happened, my brain immediately went to this process of seeking out cause, assigning blame, storing that memory so that I would avoid doing that same thing again. Ta-da! It worked. And I've only done it like 10 times since. <laughs> but what do our brains do when the search for cause is not so simple, is not so direct? What do our brains do when we can't fully understand and analyze all the factors 
regarding all the people involved in a set of circumstances that, that ultimately result in what we hope to be our possibility for a home or a job or, or promotion, a relationship or whatever, ending up being a part of someone else's story. What was the real cause? Who do we really blame when things don't work out like we wish they would? Another example, what do our brains do when we can't fully analyze the billions, if not more, of contributing factors involving billions of people interacting, acting, making decisions over decades and centuries that compound over those centuries to result in us as creatures breathing in, drinking, eating, putting on our bodies different elements, compounds, chemicals, that cause things like cancer, heart disease, lung disease, and so many other harmful maladies. When, when the reality of our environment that has been a compounding issue over centuries and the complexity of genetics, when, when that reality is so vast and complicated that we can't process and understand everything that contributes this one particular illness, what was the real cause? Who do we blame? What do our brains do when we can't fully understand and analyze the entire global economy, knowing precisely how these practices of buying and selling and trading and these different laws regarding taxes and housing and wages and, and the ways that mobility and transportation are directly connected to work and earning capacity and, and these norms of consumerism and materialism that are just subtly and overtly hammered into our heads from the day we're born. And on top of that, the, the, the realities of the failings of the human ego that cause things like greed and indifference toward others. What do we do when they've all these things have contributed over decades and centuries to the overabundance of some and the poverty of many others. What was the real cause of financial struggle and inability to live with enough? And if that happens to us, we're on the wrong end of all these things, who do we blame? When it's too complex for us to understand and analyze, and our brains have evolved to need an answer to this question, of who to blame so they can protect us from the same harm again. I wonder if maybe we appease that need by blaming God. God is largely a mystery to us as a species. And I think it's pretty easy to develop a false God understanding in which blame fits. So there are a lot of texts in the Hebrew scriptures that were written when the only explanation the writers could come up with for why they were in negative circumstances was that it must have been God's intentional doing in some way that they couldn't understand. They wrote things like, God, you have cursed us. You have turned your face away from us. You have handed us over to our enemies. Your judgment and wrath are being poured out upon us. We had this coming. We deserve this. We've been disobedient and unfaithful. Like Jeremiah, 
last week, last episode, the Lamentations were written when the Jewish people were exiled by the Babylonians, defeated and kicked out of their homes, sent elsewhere, their nation destroyed and disbanded. And they could not fully analyze and understand all of the contributing factors that led to this being their circumstances. They didn't have the social science to understand the ways that emotional and physical realities uh, of tribalism shape antagonism across cultures. They didn't understand Babylonian religious and culture norms. They could not see the bigger picture. So when their brains needed an answer to this question of why this happened to them, so that they could identify cause and blame and do everything they could do to keep this from happening again, many of them blamed God. And it shows up in the Psalms and it shows up in all these other places in the scriptures where we can hear this sentiment expressed that God did this to us as punishment, where God stepped back and passively allowed this to happen. But the words from the Lamentations are different. And we need to listen carefully to them because there's a lot of hope in these words, not just for them way back when, but for us too. So last week, we, last episode, we heard this contrast between the psalm of hopelessness, the people hanging up their harps and giving up on singing, giving up on this story that, that they and God were uh, partners in creating a peaceful future. The contrast between that and Jeremiah's words of hope that, that surely, certainly, the day will come when, when God fulfills God's promise and this will be restored and we will be back on our way to peace. We hear that contrast again this morning between the hopelessness of those who hung up their harps with this God understanding that fits blame, but then the one who proclaimed this lament in the midst of the exile. Yes, this voice says, the circumstances are bad. This is how lament always starts. It starts with naming the difficult reality. Souls are bereft of peace. Happiness is forgotten. Homelessness and affliction are like wormwood and gall. Souls are bowed down and nearing resignation. But it doesn't stay. The lament doesn't stay in the negative. Lament always resolves into hope. But this I call to mind, says the one lamenting. In the, in the midst of all this horrible stuff happening to us, this I call to mind. God's love is steadfast. It never ceases. It never pauses. It's, it's never taken or turned away. God's mercy never comes to an end. With each new morning come new efforts of steadfast love and mercy by God for the sake of God's people and their witness. The story of God's love at work in this world continues every day. God is good. God acts with compassion, says the lamenter. Not judgment, not punishment, not indifference, compassion in accordance with God's steadfast love. That, love in, that word for love, steadfast love in the Hebrew is chesed. It's uh, uh, steadfast love and kindness, constant, unconditional faithfulness unto the people. In, in the Greek New Testament scriptures, it's the word agape, this intentionality for the well-being of, of the other, for the sake of the other, regardless of merit, without the expectation of anything in return. Unconditional, 
love for the sake of the other. The lamenter says, I call this to mind. God's love never ends. For God does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. God is a God of steadfast love, therefore I will hope. So when the circumstances of our lives take a turn toward the negative, become challenging, painful, frightening, hurtful, harmful, it is not because God chose to allow it to happen, favoring someone else but not us. And it is not because God either chose or was compelled by this divine universal rule um, to cause the negative on purpose as a punishment. That, that's not how it works. As we hear the lamenter proclaim, God does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. God is loving, period. And therefore, God cannot and will not willingly afflict or grieve anyone, then or now. There is a popular image, always, all times, of God as this universal puppet master, controlling every single action and every single word of every single person in this world, which ultimately may, would make, in this image, God the cause of everything good and everything bad. But that's not how God works. That's not how God is. Because we know that we have free will and freedom and agency. Our beliefs, attitudes, decisions, actions, and words shape our physical and emotional realities. All 8 billion people in this world we all make thousands of choices every day about what to do, what to say, what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, what to do with our money, what to do with our time. That is a massively complex and interconnected network of cause and effect. And in ways that we cannot understand or analyze, every single one of our lives has an impact on everyone else's. God was not the cause of the Babylonian exile. It was not punishment for Israel's imperfection. They may have believed that because their brains needed something to believe, but the real cause was much more complex than that. It had everything to do with Babylonian leaders and people, with human ego, greed, tribal brains, our propensity to get caught up in categorizing, labeling, judging, scapegoating others out of fear. The leaders were driven by greed and a lust for power, and people of the empire either just went along with the oppression of their neighbors because it benefited them to do so, or they had been conditioned to understand that this was normal. In our world today, God is not the cause of anyone's illness, pain, death, injury, hardship, trial, or disappointment. God didn't cause them. God didn't willfully allow them to happen. 
there is free will in a broken world. And so imperfection is a part of the beauty, part of the goodness. It's good, it's not perfect. But call to mind that an affliction, grievance, a struggle for, for which you've been prone by this defense mechanism to blame God, whether something big like blaming God for taking the life of someone you love. I guess God had a reason or God said it was time. Something big like that or something small, like blaming God for the good parking spot at the Target or the mall going to someone else or God turning the light red before you could get through and you're in a hurry. Call some situation to mind where you think that God overrode human circumstance and caused or allowed something negative to happen. Try and Try and connect with the incredible complexity of circumstances that contributed to this happening. Whether it was the loss of life or parking space. How impossible it is to understand and analyze the millions of factors that contributed to that. Try to consider the possibility that your brain and longing for an answer as to what caused this has a much easier time blaming the mysterious God than this real complex, unknowable cause. And now hear these words of hope. God does not willingly inflict or grieve you. God only has compassion in accordance with a steadfast, unconditional love. Posture of being for your sake, regardless of merit and without the expectation of anything in return. The steadfast love of the Lord for you and for all people never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. The Lord is good to those who wait with and for him. God does not willfully inflict or grieve anyone. God was not powerless in the midst of the exile. No, God did not magically overturn these laws of human free will, overriding the cause and effect of these millions of human beliefs, attitudes, decisions, actions, and just make Babylon and its oppression vanish into thin air. No, God did not do that. But God did compel the people to test and examine their ways, to return to God's ways of living as a source of blessing unto their neighbors, including their enemies. God inspired them to turn their hearts from blind hopelessness to hope. And when they knew that they were loved by God and they realized the exile was not a punishment from an angry God, but the actions of an empire full of people who clearly needed to be introduced to God's way of love that would lead the world to a place of greater peace. They embraced the difficulty and imperfection of their circumstances. They stopped navel-gazing and feeling sorry for themselves, and they lived more fully into their true identity and calling as partners in God's work of peace right where they were. And then eventually the empire ended, but God's story and our story of working with God for the sake of peace, all these years later, that story continued. And because of their hope 
in God's love in the midst of that, and their willingness to, to keep that story going, the world is closer to being a kingdom of peace because of it. All these centuries later. In our lives, God does not magically overturn these laws of human free will and make our disappointing, sad, painful, challenging circumstances vanish magically into thin air. But that doesn't mean that God is powerless in a broken world amidst this massive and complex network of billions of people with beliefs, attitudes, decisions, actions, and words. That together work to compromise peace and justice and physical well-being. God's power is revealed when people are moved from resignation and hopelessness in the midst of trial to hope. When we realize that the imperfection in life is not a punishment from God that we must seek to avoid repeating through religiosity and legalistic obedience ritual, but is caused by this complex network of human free will in ways that we will never fully understand. And instead, we embrace and face the challenges of life with a hope in a God who never afflicts or grieves anyone, but rather loves, calling us forth as willing human partners to respond to the brokenness of the world with a loving compassion that starts to heal and mend and unite it. The one who was to come unto Israel and be God's means of saving and restoring the world embodied and confirmed this promise in which we hope. That God is love. God's plan for us and for all the world is the loving plan for our well-being, regardless of our merit. And so as we were lighting and worship the candle of God's love, as we call the image of that candle to mind in our mind's eye, wherever we are now, we remember that we are not called to spend our lives seeking to appease God's anger and mitigate imperfection, but to spend our lives in the midst of this beautiful and good, but imperfect and sometimes very painful world, seeking to rest in and act with God's healing love, no matter what our circumstances may be. For by this, the world will, will know that we are followers of the one that God has sent, that we are partners in this timeless story about restoring peace in the world. This is how the world will know, that we love one another, just as God has always loved us. Take care, be well, stay safe, and peace to all.